Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor David Hall. If you'd like to find out more about David or to keep up to date with his ministry, you can visit davidhall.com.au. We hope that you enjoy the message. I've been in Singapore this past week and, uh, and I flew, flew there Monday and I spoke nine times, got home preached Friday night, got on a midnight flight, got home yesterday morning. And so thank you for releasing me. I do appreciate it so much. And, and you have no idea when I go, I don't feel like I go by myself. I feel like the weight of this house is, is with me when I'm there. But while I was there, when I took off from Sydney, I, was, I, I like to check the news. I, I, I keep up with social media. I have Twitter. So, you know, often you just get a, you follow news outlets. It'll tell you what's happening. And I read that there is a... Uh, there is a, a hostage situation that, at the time, the guy was definitely an extremist, uh, an Islamic extremist, and and he had held up the lint chocolate store. I know you all know this story, so I'm not trying to re- recap the story, but we're about to take off, and then I see on Twitter all flights in Sydney Airport, where I was, had been diverted to not fly through the city. So, you know, it, I'm not saying this to sound uh, like an expert, but I, I fly an awful lot. I mean, I've probably flown wheels up 1,500 times in my life. And, and so when a plane makes a funny noise or does something odd, I can hear the noises. And so I've taken off from Sydney Airport so many times that, that, uh, that you know, if you, if you fly out of Los Angeles, it's very common. They take off and then they either veer to the left if you're on the left runway or to the right. It's almost like up and immediate. And Sydney, you take off and it's gradual. And often it's a low takeoff. We took off high and immediately to the left. And so you could tell that obviously something was happening. And, and then I was out of range for nine hours in the air. The minute I landed, you know, it still was, it was still going. And so I got to the hotel quite late in Singapore time. And it's two and a half hours ahead here. So it was probably about 2 a.m. And so I got to watch as, as the whole thing came to, a, came to an end. And and, and the shooting and all of this. And I thought, you know, I'm used to seeing this kind of thing happen, watching the news about things that have happened in, in places like Israel or in Palestine or in a lot of the Middle Eastern countries and even in some of the Asian countries. But I do feel like even though it wasn't, and I'm, I'm not minimising it, please don't think that I'm doing that, but even though it wasn't a mass, uh, a, a mass tragedy in, in, in breadth as far as lives lost, it still to me has been something that has hurt our nation and it's something that has has bruised the soul of Australia I believe and I do believe that at the moment the world is getting to a point where some of these things coming to Australia are stripping our country a little bit of its innocence and and you might not you might not even know that in some ways but by, by comparison but when I fly in Adelaide you can if you wanted to come to the airport to see your family off you can go through you can go to the gate in America you can only go through if you're flying. And they, they also have situations where, where you don't go through just a, a metal detector. You go through a full body scanner that, 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 that literally takes an x-ray view of everything you're wearing. And, and security is so much tighter. You have to take your shoes off, your jacket off. It's a whole next level because of things that have happened in that country. And I've always thought it's just a matter of time until something happens in Australia where everything's going to get tighter and tighter and tighter. And I do believe we're living in the last of the last days. I do believe that Jesus is coming back. Does anyone else believe that this morning? And so these things are a sign to come, that there are going to be some form of 
of wars and rumors of wars, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. But the Bible tells us, see that you're not troubled. And, and, and the Bible talks about when we talk about the end times, comfort one another with these words. And so I'm saying all of that to say this this morning, that I, I really do believe that as Christians, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the very next day turning on the news and, and you see a, a, a Taliban attack, open fire in a school and kill 132 boys in a school? How do we, what is a Christian response to that? I know what my flesh wants to do. I know, I know what, 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 what my, my soul wants to do, but what is a godly response to that because i know in the natural i'd love to get that mind you let me say i have no problem those people that that would do such a thing being brought to complete justice i have no problem and i pray it is done and i think sometimes our country if there is a weakness in our country i think we are too weak on issues and we let things slide and we're politically correct and and whatever i think we've got to call these things out and deal with them with a full extent of justice And, and and i'm not saying that to have a social commentary it's not my place i want to preach the word but how do then we respond to coming home and reading that that allegedly a a mother has has killed eight of her children eight of her children not in this didn't happen in across the sea this happened in Queensland this happened in metropolitan Cairns this happened in a city with the same culture as us as it could if it can happen there it's just as likely that it could happen in a city like Adelaide. And I'm not here to preach doom and gloom. We're coming into Christmas. And tonight I'm going to preach on how to have a a worry-free Christmas. But today I want to preach, how do we respond to this kind of thing? What is a Christian response to injustice? What is a Christian response to to this kind of behavior and, 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 and to these moments? And I guess... If I'm going to really preach my message, I, I, I'm, I'm preaching more to what happened in Sydney and in Pakistan. I'm not going to preach a message about a, a mother who, let's be realistic, these things don't happen when you're in your right mind. These things don't happen when you're in a good place. And, and, and the devil is a liar and he wants to destroy people. And when people are lost and they're broken and things happen, and, and I, I'm certainly not suggesting that in any way it weakens or, 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 or lowers the level of responsibility that that perpetrator holds. But I do say that we as a church need to keep being the church and bring as much of Jesus into those situations because Jesus is the only hope. Do you believe that? And so, but if you're angry, join the club because I find it angry. I, f- I feel like, why is this stuff happening in our nation? I feel like Australia is bruised. We're coming to Christmas bruised. I mean, I watched the carols in the domain last night and Koshi's up there and numerous times when he talked about the things that happened, you could hear the emotion in his voice because we're a nation that's hurting. We're a nation that has been hurt by situations. And the truth is you might go, yeah, but you don't know about my life. I'm hurting with this, this and this and this and this. To be honest with you, I I think in some ways I, I, I hate what's happened but I, I love how Australia seems to respond when things are tough. There is a great culture in the aftermath of some of these tragedies, but I am believing that these tragedies will, will, will not happen and they will be broken by the hand of God and we'll see this country in revival and see God do something. But how do we respond? How do we respond as the body of Christ to the perpetrators, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily talking about the actual people that committed the actions, but let's say the Muslim community, let's say any community that aligns with some of those things or, or, or those that are in this country, 
how do we respond? How do we respond to our enemies? And I'm not, I'm not calling Muslim people our enemies. I've got to be very clear on, on this because these messages go to many different places and I don't want to say things that, that end up getting misquoted. Our, 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 our enemies, uh, we don't wrestle against earthly things. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. And our enemies, we need to understand from God what we need to fight for, what we need to fight against, what we need to believe God. Those that don't name the name of Jesus are not my enemies. They're my mission field. They're the people I want to see coming to a saving grace of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, so I'm not, but, but, I, but I do want to, I, I am going to talk about loving your enemies this morning. And, and my first response, the first response we need to have to, to, to these things that have happened, to, to, to those that are ne- not necessarily in our method of thinking or, or the perpetrators or those that are related to the perpetrators, those that are in the same religion as the perpetrators or, or, or those that would do any kind of damage to any person or those that have done damage to you, those that you would consider maybe people in your world that haven't shown you the respect that you feel like you should deserve or, or whatever the case may be. This is such a broad thing, but I, I go to the Bible this this morning and it says here in Matthew 5:44 love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you let me say that again love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you I don't know about you, loving your enemies is not the easiest pill to swallow. It's not the easiest thing to do. I wish there was a scripture that said every now and then, slap your enemy. But it doesn't say that. In fact, it says if they slap you, let them slap you on the other side. Turn the other cheek. I remember one time my dad gave me a belting on the behind, so I turned the other cheek. I was trying to apply. Oh, come on, don't be so religious this morning. What is, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you, Luke 6, 28. People outside of Jesus Christ have always had difficulty with this. A famous communist leader says, the difference between Christianity and communism, it's actually great. When someone strikes a Christian on the face, he turns the other cheek. If you strike me on the face... I'll hit you so hard your head will fall off. That is, a, that is a godless view versus a Christian view. I know most of you probably think, I like this guy. <laughs> and my flesh loves that. Mankind generally is not usually violent or hostile regarding people they don't like. But I do believe mankind, and we as Christians, we still have difficulty with Jesus' approach to dealing with, to dealing with other people. For example, Confucius, 500 years before Jesus, said, do not, listen, let me make sure you're hearing this and not just hearing the golden rule here, listen, do not unto others what you would not wish done to yourself. So in other words, don't do something that you don't want done to you. Are you, are you following if you, if you look at some religious writings, and, and I won't be specific, but there are religious writings that are not part of the Bible but often considered to be, it says, do not do to anyone what you yourself hate. Now, both of those pieces of advice, they're good advice. You'll have no trouble applying those things 
in your life because we do believe in seed time and harvest. We do believe what a man sows that will be reaped. So if I say, I'm not going to do anything that I wouldn't like done to me, that's still, that's still by default a reasonable, naturally speaking, I think an above average way to live. Definitely. But if you, if you even go, go for a famous rabbi, so a, a Jewish idea, a modern Jewish idea on how to operate is, is what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. It sounds like the golden rule in the Bible, in Luke 6.31. But it isn't because the golden rule doesn't say, do not do unto others what you would not want them to do to you. Everyone in this house, listen to me this morning. He says, do unto others. Somebody say, do. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So you can see in that scripture the difference between religion and relationship with Jesus. Religion says don't. Religion says I serve God by not doing this, not doing that, not doing this, not doing that, not doing this. Religion is a list of do nots. But when it's in Christ, when you're, when you're in Christ, it's far more about your dues. Serve God, love one another, give and it'll come back to you. Pray, believe God. And, and you know, a lot of us, we think conviction in, in a saved context is actually God making you feel bad for being naughty. Conviction as a born-again Christian has far more to do with God convicting you to something, not away from something. And so when we use the word conviction, for me, conviction is, oh, I feel very guilty if I do this. I feel guilty sometimes because I know what the Bible says and I'm not measuring up with what the Bible says. So there is just a, there's a, there's a tension within me. When I feel convicted, my convictions are going to all the world and preach the gospel. My convictions are to do whatever I can to assist God and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. My convictions are to love one another, to serve God, to pray without ceasing and and, and be what God's called me to be. Come on, somebody, if you believe that this morning. And uh, let me me go on a little bit. So Jesus doesn't say, do not do unto others. He says, do. So if if, if you want to see the golden rule applied, it is by, it's not a, it is not a passive thing. It is an assertive thing by not Speaking badly of Pastor George, that, that's, that's a good thing because I wouldn't want him speaking badly about me, but he does all the time and he's working on that. But, but by, 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 by not speaking bad about Pastor George, that's not applying the golden rule. That's just a good religious principle. What I should be doing is speaking life about Pastor George and speaking destiny over his world. And, and we've got to understand the difference. Often we think we're so good because, well, we don't do this, we don't do that. You're not going to heaven or hell based on what you don't do. It's what you do do. And that is giving your heart to Jesus. It's serving God. There's a lot of people in heaven that are going to, that, that, that would have lived morally right, that would have lived morally pure. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that, that living immoral is compatible with a holy life, but what I am saying is good behavior management and not doing certain things is not the road to heaven. It's, it's believing that God is who he says he is and laying a hold and receiving by faith. It's about doing. It's, man, I'm preaching, I think, reasonably good and you're not giving me much this morning, but I will keep going until you do. And uh, thank you very much. It's very generous of you. You six, my birthday party in June. It's going to be awesome. But, but here's what I'm trying to tell you. We, we think we're doing good, but we'll just be nice. How do you love your enemies? How do you bless those who persecute you and spitefully use you? I heard a story about a, a boy, and this boy was getting bullied at school. And uh, he, 
I don't want to be unkind, but he was being bullied by the, by the and I, I was this kid at school, so I can say it. He was being bullied by the fat kid, you know. The fat kid was bullying him, just giving him a hard time. And, and so he went home and, and he went to Sunday school and listened, heard this scripture, bless those who curse you. This little seven-year-old boy, he had red hair. That's all I know about this little boy. So, is it just me or is it a tough crowd this morning? I think... I don't know what happened. You used to be a happy church. I don't know what happened today. Maybe you're too spiritual. But anyway, so this this boy decides, this boy decides, well, I've got to apply this word. And he says to his mum and dad, he said, this boy's been being mean to me, giving me a hard time. The Bible says, bless those. And and his mum says to him, well, what is he like? And he says, clearly he likes food. (laughs) And And so she said, well, what do you want to do? She said, I want to buy him a bag of jelly beans. And so the next day, this big kid at school comes to rough this little guy up and he says, I I, want to give you something. And the big kid never had a friend in his life, never gave this little kid a hard time again. And as time went on, the story goes, they became the best best of friends and they stayed best friends into their adult life. Isn't that awesome? So the key is when someone gives you a hard time, buy them jelly beans. No, it's like the duck who went into the chemist and said, I'd like some jelly beans. And the guy said, it's going to be 25 cents. And he, the duck reached in his pocket and didn't have any money. He said, oh, I don't have any money. Can you just put it on my bill? But anyway. <laughs> it's going to be a long day today. Don't <laughs> the philosophy of non-Christians or religion is do not. I want to talk to people who believe in the God of do. It, G, G, Jesus, let me tell you, Jesus... If we talk about mercy, mercy is do not. Mercy is God saying, you are, not, you are not going to pay the price in hell. That's a do not. That's him going, I won't. I'm, 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 I'm not unleashing something that I could. But he didn't stop at mercy. He crossed over into the realm of grace. And the realm of grace says, not only am I, am I not going to give you what you deserve, but I'm going to give you what you do not deserve. Unmerited favor and blessing from God. He's a God of do. And we've got to be a people of do. How do, how do we respond with grace? I want to be a church of grace. I want to be people of grace. I want to be people who see the best in people, who believe in people, who want to see people rise and be what God's called them to be, where people can come in here who are broken and be put back together. Don't come into judgment. They don't come into scrutinizing. Can I say one thing about our church that I've loved? It's consistent across all the campuses. This is not one of those old time churches where if someone comes in a mess, the eyes of judgment get on them. This is a church that lifts people and, and and believes in people because most of the people sitting here came into church a mess at one point or another. They came to it, so we're not we're not we're not spiritual frauds that pretend to have it all together. We're all a mess. We're all on a journey, but we have a perfect God who loves us. And even when we're in sin, He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. Why? Because He's a God of do. Praise God. Somebody say praise God. So so if the Scripture says this morning, if the Scripture says love your enemies. It says, pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. The word repeated in both of those texts is prayer. If we pray for those who persecute us, we pray for those who mistreat us, we pray for our enemy. You see, God is a genius. I mean, he, he's beyond genius. He, his, his mind is infinitely powerful. But, but he knows this. He knows that if we were to pray for somebody, it's pretty difficult to hate that person. Now, it's in the back corner. It's not on the stage at the moment. 
the cross, the stainless steel cross that we, we have. Remember one Easter Sunday morning, we sort of placed it here in our old building. And as I was, as I was preaching on the cross, I had a powerful moment that happened in, in, in my heart, in my life that day. For some reason, I move around a little bit, so I stood behind the cross as I was preaching at, at seeing things through the lens of Calvary. And I had a personal revelation because as I looked through that cross, I looked at our church. I saw our whole church through the lens of Calvary and, and through the cross. And you know, it's amazing. When I had to look at our church through that cross, it was very symbolic and, and it was a God thing for me. I'm not recommending you go and, and, and make this a religious method or anything like that. But how can I hold unforgiveness? Or how can I have a lack of love when I have to look at people through the cross? How, and you, you can't hate somebody in your family if you're praying for them. You can't hate somebody if you're asking God to bless them. And there can be a time where, 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 where even as a, as a leader and a pastor, you feel bruised by things that happen in the life of your church. Yet you still have to get up and minister the word. You still have to be a shepherd. You still have to love your people. You still have to pray for your people. And I tell you, when I pray for certain things... I can't hold on to unforgiveness. But I can tell you, if I lapse in my prayer, I can still go back to a place where I say, God, you've got to help me because I'm struggling. And do you know how I pray for people I don't like? And you might say, David, you're so spiritual. I have no choice but to do this for, for my sanity and survival. But when I pray, I say, Father, bless them. Lord God, I don't, I don't just want them to... I don't pray, God, fix them, they're mongrels. I just say, Father, in the name of Jesus... Bless them. Prosper them. Do you know something? You, you, this will help you in Christ. In Christ, you might, have, you might be at odds with somebody in the kingdom of God. You know, we, we've had people over the time sort of get frustrated in church, leave and start churches. Not every church is, is, a, uh, is necessarily, I think, ordained of God or anything like that. But at the same time, do I want to see these churches ever struggle? Never. I want to see them win souls. I want to see them change lives. I want, to, I want to see them set people free by the grace of God. But the point that I'm trying to make this morning is that you can't hate somebody you're praying for. And you know what? I see Christians hate. I see Christians, they hate. They say they don't hate, but they hate. They get to a place where they hear a name and disdain covers their face. And I say, if you have that stronger feeling towards somebody, pray for them. Maybe you really struggle with your pastor. Pray for him. Don't amen too loud, friends. Pray for him. Say, God, help him. Help his poor wife. She has to live with him. No, but are you following what I'm saying, church? Are you, are you catch this? Pray without ceasing. Jesus was hanging on Calvary's cross. They stripped him of his robe, which was probably his most valuable personal asset. As he is hanging on the cross, nails driven through his hand, he got whipped 39 times. That was the maximum amount of times one could be hit or, 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 or whipped. And this wasn't just, sometimes we just think it was like a, a nice little stock whip. This, this had glass in the end. It had, it had a medieval equivalent to what we would call screws or nails in the end. It's called a cat of nine tails. Every time that that whip would hit the back of Jesus, it would have torn his flesh. His back would have been unrecognizable. Had he not been crucified, he would have died from that scourge. It would have been slower, but he would have died from that very scourge. So he hangs on Calvary's cross, nails driven through his hand, each hand, and, uh, and his feet crossed over, and one big nail shoved 
hammered straight through the center of both feet. As he gasped for air to stay alive, he actually would have died of suffocation, ultimately. He would have died of everything else as well had that, had that happened. But the truth is, the Bible says he gave up the ghost. So the truth is he actually appointed his time to go to heaven. And, 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 and so he was always in control until the very end. But the truth is, left to his own devices, suffocation would have been the killer because eventually the pain in his hand would have been too much for him to, to pull himself up, up to breathe. And so he, he is experiencing that. And church, I want you to get this in your spirit because I think as, as the people of God, we can do better here. Jesus is hanging on Calvary's cross and, and he looks down and they're, they're casting lots to buy his cloak. In other words, they're, they're, they're having a bartering time to buy the very coat that he wore while he is still alive, hanging on Calvary's cross. He looks down and what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You've got to work on this forgiveness. I'll remind you that unforgiveness never keeps a person you're not forgiving in a prison. It keeps you in a prison. And it cuts off the blessing of God in many ways. Some people say if you're unforgiving, God won't forgive you and so you won't go to heaven. That's not true. There is judicial forgiveness. There's relational forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is to do with your justification. You're saved. You're born again. You've been forgiven from your state of sin. But as a Christian, if we continue to mess up and, and, we, and, we, and we don't show forgiveness to others, it puts us in a very difficult position to have relational forgiveness in order to enjoy our walk with God and go forth. Because God says, how am I supposed to show you the blessing of forgiveness when you are repeatedly not showing other people? The Bible puts weight on this, church. So, so we love our, 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 our enemies by praying for them. And dare I say, we, we forgive them. My dad would preach in Pakistan next to a mosque in Karachi, 40,000 people a night coming to the meeting. And in that service, that the, when they tried to pull the big tent down that they were using for the meetings, and more outside of the tent than in the tent, Muslim women were holding onto the post, sobbing and screaming and crying, saying, please don't pull this down. We need what's happening in this place. So when we look at what happens in Sydney and say that represents everything about the, uh, the people of those nations, it doesn't. However, I have certain strong views about the doctrine of Islam. As the body of Christ and as the people of Christ, we actually have to forgive people. Prayer, and not just for our enemies, but for our nation. He says, if my people... 2 Chronicles 7, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek God's face, turn from their wicked ways. He says, I'll hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. What does Australia need us to do right now? It needs us to pray. It needs us to seek God. It needs us to lay a hold of him and say, God, would you heal our land? God, would you touch Australia? God, for those people that have been damaged by Sydney, for that family that, are, that, that would be probably almost certifiable with, with, with confusion and pain up in cans for the parents of those kids in, in that school. And, and we can sit back and have a tough position socially and, and that's your prerogative. And, and I have views that I would keep to myself and, and, and I'm sure you do too. But the truth is more than anything, 
anything. God, would you do something? God, would you hear our prayer as a body of Christ? God, I pray for that family in Cairns. God, I pray for those that have been victims of hostage situations. And and God, I pray for for the mothers and the fathers of of what's happened in Pakistan and pray that, you know, one thing, I I can tell you one thing, Jesus is going to be a sweet option to all of those people right now. Because when when you put his peace, loving, kind, tender, sacrificial, atoning death on Calvary that he endured so you and I could have life. He preaches a message of kindness and forgiveness and grace. And he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he says, says, come unto me. He says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burdens light. And and I want to tell you that Jesus we serve, he's meek and he's kind, but he's going to judge this earth one day. And I'm telling you, some people have got a picture of Jesus of being some sheep-carrying hippie with combed hair and big beard. I want to remind you that the Bible calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Bible calls, come on somebody this morning, the Bible calls him king of kings and lord of lords. So you're getting pumped this morning. How can you not be pumped about Jesus? If it hadn't been for Jesus, life would be hopeless. So what do we do? We pray, we mourn. We mourn with our nation. We forgive. We trust God. Job, when he finally got perspective, he said this in chapter 42, in verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We all know Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm going to close this message now and say our final my final thought is how do we respond we stay faithful to the gospel we have to be so much more deliberate about being biblically correct as opposed to politically correct let me say that again biblically correct as opposed to politically correct Because there's a difference. This is probably the least politically correct book. It calls things out. It'll it'll tell you, if you don't bow your knee, there's no other way to Jesus. There is no other way to be born again. And I'm not here to be in any way unkind. Because we're a church that loves, we're a church that accepts, we're a church... That, that whether you're gay, whether you're straight, whether, you, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a non-Christian, whatever your walk of life is, come as you are. Let me say this, you don't have to clean up for a bath. This is the bath. And you don't, you don't have to straighten up. If we can keep that up for a minute. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to straighten up to be good enough for God. You don't have to straighten out to be good enough to God. Come to God, he'll straighten you out. Are you hear, hearing what I'm saying? Some, can I tell you, the Bible says Jesus Christ. Is the way, is the truth. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the gospel. I mean, there's a... I, can't, I cannot get to heaven by any other one of those means. I can't get... I can get to heaven through, uh, through a bloodstained cross. I can get through to heaven because of a crucified cross, an empty cross, an empty tomb, and an occupied throne. That's why I can get to heaven, because he shed his blood. The cross is not a... In addition to our life, it's an ultimatum. And I felt strongly today, how do we respond? We respond 
by still believing what we believe, holding on to what we're holding on to. But if we as the people of God start treating any religious person with anything less than the love of Jesus, we're denying everything the Bible says. But at the same time, we don't compromise our line. There's a line. We're children of the living God. We fight for Calvary. We stand for Calvary. But our fight is done through love. Our fight is done through prayer. Our fight is done through forgiveness. Our fight is done through generosity. Our fight is done through believing that God can change our land. And that's how we fight. I'm not going, I have a weapon, and I'll tell you what my weapon is. It's the weapons of my warfare. They're not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And when I use those weapons, people's lives can be changed by the grace of God. And that's our fight. Our fight is in a heavenly dimension and it looks like love and it looks like grace. That's the end of my message. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? Let's bow in prayer. We'll close the service. You might be here today and you don't know Jesus. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed in this last one minute of this meeting. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you say, David, I need to get my heart right with God. Well, no one's... Well, no one's looking around. If you'd say, David, I need to get my heart right with Jesus. I need to get my heart right with God. I'm away from the Lord. I'm away from Jesus. I'm not walking with God like I should be. If you're in this place, well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. I'm going to ask the rest of our church to pray it as well. And uh, we're going to believe God to do something in your world. Let's pray this together. If you'd say you want to get your heart right with God or you want to get give your heart to the Lord for the first time. Maybe you're away from God and you know you need to come home. Let's pray this together right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it says in your word, which cannot lie, that if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, I shall be saved. And so right now, Lord Jesus, I confess and I believe. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean by your precious blood. Give me a new beginning. I give my heart to you. Take my life. Use me in Jesus' name. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart and, uh, and you, want, you want to see God just begin to work in you and, and go forward in your faith, if that's you, well, no one's looking around. Just so I can see here, I want to give you something at the end of the message, a book to help you get started in your journey of faith. But if that's you and you say, David, that's me. I prayed that prayer. I meant it in my heart. Quickly, just slip your hand up so I can see who you are. I want to pray for you and believe God. Is there any person today that would say, David, that was me?